Welcome to Living Word, growing a family that experiences every promise of God. You're listening to another life-changing word from Pastor Jason Anderson. For more information, visit our website at livingwordonline.com. Father God, I lift up this time to you. Ask the Lord that you bless it. Open up our hearts to receive your word. Your word is manna. It's bread. We can eat it. It's practical. We can use it this week. Your word is also seed planted deep in the good soil of our hearts. It takes root, grows up inside of us, and transforms us more and more into the glory of your Son, Jesus. Holy Spirit, be our teacher. Teach us what we need to know and prepare us for what's coming in our lives. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Today I want to tell you that you were built for this. It says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, For we are the workmanship of God. We're His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. God wants us to walk in his plans, his purpose, his goodness, the life that he has for us, that fulfilling, that fulfillment that we can gain by doing what he has preordained us for, his plan. The problem is, is a lot of people aren't walking in his plans, not because we don't want to, but because we haven't recognized the first two components of this scripture yet. For I am the workmanship of God. Father God, the creator of heaven and earth, my dad, I'm his workmanship. I am not the sum collective total of all of my experiences and Maybe your parents abandoned you and the, the schooling you went to and, and the mars and the scars presented to you by the experiences of this world from the time you were born in the flesh until now. I am not the sum total of those things. This world did not birth me. I was not born just of flesh and blood. But when I received Jesus, I was born of the Spirit and I am the workmanship of Father God. But if I don't know that, if I don't have a revelation of what that means, then I'm not, not going to be able to walk in his plan. I'll keep saying no to it. And that I was created in Christ. When I was created, when I was birthed, where I'm from is not Janesville, Wisconsin, but I am from the, the location that I was created was in Christ. Christ means uh, anointed one. I was born in the choosing of God and I was bathed in the oil of the anointing of God at the moment I chose to believe in Jesus. Can I get an amen? amen? Not everyone's walking in these things because we haven't yet realized or gotten a revelation of who we really are. Consider for a moment Jeremiah. He was a young man when God visited him and the Lord said to Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 1, for I knew you before I formed you in the womb, before you were born, I sanctified you and I ordained you a prophet to the nations. So he reveals what? He reveals who made him, whose idea he was, who was the builder of his life. And he reveals to him the plan that he wants him to walk in. And what does Jeremiah say? He says, no. He says, I'm just a kid. I can't speak. You got the wrong guy. He pulls a Moses. I can't do it. And so often we say no to what God has put in front of us 
or pushed in front of us. We say no to the Goliaths because they look too big, not realizing that it's a God-ordained opportunity to move us to the next level. We say no to what God has asked us to do because we think that we know who we are, but we have a wrong concept. We have not yet realized what and who God says that we are. We reject our purpose because we don't know our identity. And so many people are looking for their purpose. Pastor, I just want to know, I'm just looking for my purpose. I'm just trying to find out why God put me here. I'm looking for, I need my assignment, Pastor. Can you pray with me and let God reveal to me my purpose? You know, we were never designed to look for purpose. If you look in the Word of God, purpose isn't something we find. Purpose is always something that interrupts us. Okay, so Moses wasn't looking for purpose, but the burning bush interrupted him. Gideon was just threshing wheat in a wine press, minding his own business, when the angel of the Lord visited him and interrupted his life with purpose. Mary was engaged to be married when the angel of the Lord interrupted her wedding plans, which is never a good idea to do to a woman, (laughs) to tell her she was going to be pregnant before she got married. How many know that would interrupt your life? See, God interrupts our life with his purpose. What we do is, be, is just walk out what's in front of us until he interrupts us with the next assignment. Do you see the difference? No, no, we don't need to seek our purpose. We need to instead fix our eyes on Christ so that we might see who we've been designed to be. When I look at Jesus I be, and his glory, I become transformed into that image. I look at him and I go, oh, that's who I am. I'm Christ in me. And when I recognize my identity, now I can step into my purpose. Or in other words, the prerequisite to walking in God's purpose or saying yes to the assignment and the Goliath that he puts in front of us is to first recognize these two things. I am the workmanship of God created in Christ. Somebody say amen. My son Matthew called me, and it was the day that he would swear into the Navy. This was Uh, over a month and a half ago, and he left uh, just recently for boot camp. But the day that he was swearing in, he called me that morning, and we were all going to go down there and watch him swear in. But, of course, he showed up hours earlier to do the doctor and the examinations and the testing. And and, uh, he called me, and his voice was shaking. I've never heard Matthew be afraid ever in his life. He's just had zero fear, zero fear. Uh, we'd say jump in the pool, and he and he would just he'd be two years old. Just jump in, and we'd jump in. He's n- no fear, never, ever. It's just how he is built. And uh, but his voice was a little shaky, and he's like, "Dad, what?" He goes, "I don't know if I can do this. I feel funny about this." Now, I am, as a father, built to say to him, "This is my wife will t- attest to this. This is how I respond. I'm built to say." Listen, you're 18, man. It's your life. You do what you feel you're called to do. You follow the promptings of the Spirit in your life. You're a big boy. This is your future. You you make this decision. That's just how I'm built. It's just to put it back on him. But as I began to say what what I always say, the Spirit of God came on me. And instead, when I opened my mouth, I said, all that came out of my mouth was, Matthew, you're built for this. I said, now get in there and do it. 
Well, Kelly comes walking out where I was. She didn't hear. She didn't really. She goes like this. She goes, who is that? The intensity. The Holy Spirit was on her. And I said, this is your son. And, and he's a little nervous about it. She give me the phone. And she grabbed, right? Am I telling the truth? She grabbed the phone and she goes like this. She goes, Matthew, you're built for this. She didn't even know what he was saying to me. She goes, Matthew, you're built for this. Come on, somebody. And sometimes, see, he's been talking about it since he was in the ninth grade. And if you look at his life, you know that he's built for it. He's built for the decision that God placed. There was a calling on his life, but what happens is the enemy gets us to come in and tries to doubt who we are, and we can't do it, and you're not good enough, and your insecurities well up. But I want you to know that your insecurities do not live in the spirit man that you were born into. Insecurity does not live there. So when you speak from a place of insecurity, you are listening to the dead person that was crucified in Christ trying to tell you who you are. But you can't listen to that voice. Come on, somebody. Give me an amen. Somebody say hallelujah in here. Your spirit, man, will never be afraid. And so you know where the fear lives. Praise God. God came to Gideon. Gideon said no. Right? I can't do it. God said to Gideon, you're a mighty warrior. He goes, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm the least in my family. We're the least tribe. We're the least. I can't do it. It's why? Because he didn't know who God said he was. So he was, and I, I, was, I was using my phone the other day. I was, I was on the phone, and I don't have it with me, but I um, made a phone call, and it goes, call failed. And then I hit it again, and it said, uh, cannot call. Try later. <laughs> right? My phone was telling me that I can't make a phone call. And I began to just talk to it in the spirit. <laughs> you were built for this. <laughs> like, this is all you do. You are a phone. <laughs> How frustrating is it when the, what was created starts to tell you what it can and can't do? You see, when I told Matthew you were built for this, that was the father voice. But it wasn't my voice, it was his father's voice, his father God. As he steps into a new realm in his era, he has to realize that he was created in Christ, that he was born in the workmanship of God. Now, I'm a good father, but I am flesh and blood. So I didn't need to speak from my father's voice, I needed to speak from his father's voice. And here's what his father was saying. He's saying the same thing to you today. Whatever you're facing in your life, the, the job, the unruly boss that you can't deal with, I can't go another day with these coworkers. Pastor, I can't seem to raise these kids. I'm not sure that I'm equipped to raise these kids. Listen, man, whatever God has placed in your life tomorrow, you were built for this. Come on. You can do it. I don't have the resilience. Yes, you do. <laughs> I started on Moses a few weeks ago, and, and I wanted to get back into this. And, you know, Moses said no to God. God visits him in a burning bush and says, I want you to get my people Israel out of Egypt. And this is in, in the book of Exodus in chapter 4. And there's Moses saying, I can't. He's like, I've never been eloquent with words, you know, uh, God. I can't speak. And God, what does God say? He's like, I built your mouth. Like, I am the one who gives man a mouth. Don't tell the creator what you think you can or can't do. You were built for this, Moses. And he really was built for it. What would God say about Moses? God, just find somebody else. Maybe Moses said, no, why don't you find somebody that says yes, God? And God's like, no, 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 I had to talk him into it. 
because he was built for it. Let me tell you a little bit about Moses. He was perfect for the job of leading the Israelites out of Egypt. He grew up in the palace. He was familiar with palace ways. He was educated in the finest schools. He could read and write in both Egyptian and in Hebrew. He was perfect to approach Pharaoh and talk to him. He was born a Hebrew, but raised in the palace. He was built for it. He went out to the priest of Midian after murdering a man because of his passion to set the Israelites free. So he killed an Egyptian for beating up one of his Hebrew brothers. He was passionate about getting the Israelites out of Egypt. He was built for it. He goes out to the priest of Midian and he watches sheep for 40 years in the same wilderness that he would lead the sheep of God for 40 years. He was absolutely built for this. And when the people got hemmed in by the mountains and the sea and the Egyptians were bearing down on them, God knew the people would panic, but here's what he knew about Moses, that Moses wouldn't panic, that Moses would simply stretch out his staff over the sea and part the sea, that when the people were tired and famished and thirsty and grumbling against God and grumbling against Moses, Moses was not grumbling. He was not tired. He was not thirsty. This was his stomping grounds. He knew right where to go, strikes the rock, and water comes out. Bread falls from heaven under this man. And when the voice of God came down the mountain and spoke to the Israelites, the Bible says they trembled with fear and said, tell God to stop speaking to us. But Moses didn't panic at the voice of God. Instead, he marched up the mountain because he wanted to hear it louder. And he wanted to see God face to face saying, God, show me your glory. He was built for this. And when the people grumbled against him and his closest friends and family stabbed Moses in the back. God knew he wouldn't quit even then. And even God came to Moses and said, let's walk away from this and do something else. Moses said, even then I won't quit. He was built for this. And listen, God, you got to know this. God is saying the same thing about you today. Every experience that you've been through from the time that you were born. Maybe your parents abandoned you. Maybe you went through hard times. Maybe you were rejected. Every defeat that you went through, the marriage that didn't work out, the baby that you gave up, every single failure and every single victory, every culmination and collection of everything that has happened to you tells me that as you sit here in God's house, breathing in God's air still, that God is saying, I will use all of it because I built you for what's in front of you. Come on, somebody. Oh, I'm passionate about this one. You know, Exodus chapter 4 and, and verse 2, we just rewind a little bit in the story. And, and God says to Moses at the burning bush, as Moses argues with God about why he can't, he says, what's that in your hand? And it's such an interesting question that God asks because he's the creator of heaven and earth. There's Moses holding a staff, and God talking to Moses says, what is that? I'm glad that Moses didn't ask, answer him in sarcasm, <laughs> although I might have. What is, it's a staff. But really, God was trying to point a spotlight for all of us today at what this was. What is that? Moses says, it's a rod. It's a staff. And he, he said, cast it on the ground. So we cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. 
and Moses fled from it. Ooh, it just happened to my staff. And then God said, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and took it by the tail, and it turned back into a staff. And then God said to do this in front of Pharaoh as a sign that he was sent by God. So that whole scenario would be done again in front of Pharaoh. It's a sign that God was on, on Moses' life. What does this staff represent? What is that in your hand? Well, in the Hebrew days, a staff was very critical to a person. Uh, you know, he had a shepherd's staff. And you find time and again that in those days that you could use your staff as a, a means of identification. It was a picture of your identity. It would recognize staffs just like you would recognize the face of a person saying, well, that's Aaron's staff when it budded and re rebirthed into life as God was showing that he had selected Aaron as priest. Or Judah, when Tamar said, whose staff is this? Everyone knew, oh, that's Judah's staff. It was used as identification. It's a picture of his identity. And what is the staff made of? Well, you know, it used to be a tree that was alive and probably produced fruit, but now it's dead. And it can't produce fruit anymore because it's been broken off from the tree. And then I got carved up by the world, by animals chipping away at it as it laid there until Moses got it up one day and said, well, that might make a pretty good staff. And then he cut the rest of it up and carved it into his identity. So in the same way, the world has carved you up in the same way you have carved up what you think is your identity. You're like, oh, that's me. Who are you? There's three components to your identity. Who you're from, where you're from, and what you do, right? Somebody comes up to me and says, who are you? I met some people this week, some great pastors, and they're like, who are you? And I said, well, I'm Jason Anderson. Oh, you come from the Andersons, Tom and Maureen Anderson. Yeah, that's who I come from. My surname tells me who I come from. Oh, where are you from? I'm from Arizona. That's where I'm from. Oh, is that where you were born? No, I originally was born in Janesville, Wisconsin, this is my identity. And what do you do? We are the workmanship of God. That's who I'm from. I'm from the Father. Where I'm from is I was created in Christ, birthed out of the anointing of God and chosen. I'm like Neo from the Matrix. I'm not the Messiah, but I got the Messiah living on the inside of me. And for whatever reason, God predestined to choose me. And he predestined to choose you. And then what do you do? I do whatever is in front of me that God placed in front of me to do. That's my identity. And God was saying, what is that? What was he holding? He was holding his sinful nature, the dead man. I was crucified in Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ that liveth in me. Unless a seed fall to the ground and die, it cannot live. You were taught in regard to your former way of life to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and put on the new self. What was God saying? I don't know what that dead thing is, but put it at my feet. What does it represent? Everything that I thought I was, all of my dreams, my ambitions, all of my failings, every betrayal, every tragedy, every scar of my heart, everything that I want, my future, but also the, the collective sum of my past. It's 
where I've been, and it's also where I'm going. And I use it for stability. I lean on it in times of need. I use it to hike, but it's just ordinary. It's just mediocre. I'm not sure I even like it. It's my stick. What's your stick? For Moses, it was his shepherd's staff. It says, I'm a shepherd. But for Joshua, it was a spear. He had a different kind of identity. Where Moses was called to lead the Israelites out of Egypt, Joshua was called by God to lead the Israelites in to the promised land. For you, it might be I'm a teacher. It might be I'm a student in college, in high school. For you, it might be I'm a doctor. I'm an athlete. I have dreams in this capacity. I'm really good at this, pastor. This is the thing I'm passionate about. It's my stick. It's what I do. And God said, can you take all of what you just said and give it to me? All of it. Take it all and put it at my feet. Put it at the feet of Jesus. Throw it down. Because that is not who you are. I didn't create that. You did. See, there's two identities in every one of us. There's a flesh and a spirit. The flesh was forged and conceived by the flesh, by your parents, your mom and dad, and then you forged your way through the fleshly life. But there was a born-again you. The, 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 the original you, the one born of the flesh, so many people think, and we hear it even in churches today, they'll say, well, that's how God made you, the brown hair, the blue eyes. Listen, God did not create me to have crooked teeth on the bottom. He didn't create me to have thinning hair and be short. He didn't create people to be blind when they were born or crippled when they were born. Those are genetic decaying effects of a sinful nature. That body, that flesh, see, people were born crippled, but Jesus still healed them because he was saying, that is not how God created you. I have to bring order to what's happened to you in your life. And so often we think, well, this is how God made me. I shouldn't want to change it. I shouldn't want to do anything. Listen, you got to brush your teeth. you got to fix yourself up. It's just your body. You're just carrying it around. It's just, that's not how God created you. That's how flesh created you. The Bible says in Ezekiel chapter 26 that I was created in perfect ways. Let's go to it right now. Ezekiel. Show me Ezekiel. <laughs> That's all right. That computer's been giving them hassles today, hasn't it? <laughs> Is it coming up? It's, yeah, I, can, I can quote it to you anyways. It says that I was created in perfect ways, but then iniquity was found in me. In other words, God created Adam perfect to live forever, but then when sin entered in, that sinful nature crept in and destroyed everything that God, and now we're held to a bondage of decay. Everything in the flesh is decaying. I don't know if you look in the mirror. I look in the mirror, I'm like, that's getting worse. <laughs> but then First Peter says this, that you were born again, say born again, of an incorruptible seed. So although the flesh was corruptible and, and, and sin did corrupt it, the spirit is incorruptible. There is no behavior or sin that you can do in your life that can corrupt what God has birthed by his spirit. It is born of an incorruptible seed. Somebody say amen. Hallelujah. So these two identities that we have, the spirit and the flesh, I'm the spirit but this was the flesh, the sinful nature, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. You were taught in regard to the former way of life to, to take off, to put down, to throw at the feet of God. Boom, and you throw it down. And that's hard. 
It isn't easy to let go of what we've held on to for so long. I'm not going to let go of those things, Pastor. I'm not ready. I thought, and I think sometimes we think we've let go of everything. But we're still holding on to some things. I was standing in a service, and Kenneth Copeland walked up to me. This is probably, I don't know, 15 years ago. And Kenneth Copeland was standing here, and I was sitting right where Pastor Kevin is sitting. And he walked over to me, and he said, and he didn't know me. He didn't know I was the pastor's son. I hadn't met him. And he looked at me, and he said, develop courage. People were like, oh, you got a good word from God. No, 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 I didn't. I got told in front of everyone where I was lacking. <laughs> and then he said, he said, and a willingness to abandon yourself to the Lord. Which means I hadn't abandoned myself to God yet. Reckless abandon. I was still holding to all my dreams of being a star musician one day. All my dreams, I was going to be a huge singer and a rock star. I was still holding on to these things. God was like, yeah, you need to, you need to throw that at my feet. It wasn't that I stopped doing music. It was who I started doing it for. I kept doing music, but I decided I'm not doing this for me and my dreams anymore. I'm just doing this for the Lord. And when I did that, things started to move in my life. And he said, I'm taking you to to dangerous places. And sure enough, I went to some crazy stuff. I went through some crazy things. I saw some crazy things in Vietnam, Cambodia, Thailand, the places he took me to. But I didn't know that I hadn't thrown it all down at Jesus' feet yet. I thought I did. You know, everyone's going to go through two decisions in their life, one where they, they choose to believe in Jesus, and then in that moment, Jesus gives you all of him. He withholds nothing in that moment. He gives you all of him. But then there's this other decision that has to be made, and that's the decision where you decide you're going to give him all of you. And that didn't happen when I got born again because I didn't understand anything like that. But then later on, I heard... And I was called, and I felt the idea that I could live my whole life without following Jesus, or I could, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. You see, God had anointed me and chosen me from before I was born, and he anointed you, and he chose you before you were born. And when you throw yourself down on that holy ground, remember God said to Moses, this is holy ground, take off your shoes. That holy ground represents the oil of God, the anointing of the Lord. He took off his shoes, his past, who he used to be. And the Bible says in Deuteronomy that anything that touches that which is holy becomes holy. Holy is set apart for God's plans and purposes. Here's my dreams, my ambitions, my failures, my defeats, everything that I am, the collective sum of all that the world and myself have created me to be, and I'm throwing it down onto holy ground. And what I'm saying is, is I know that God has anointed me, but now I'm choosing to anoint myself. What do you mean you're choosing to anoint yourself? Because if man doesn't believe he's anointed, then nothing will come of it. God chose you, but at one point you're going to accept that he chose you. At what point are you going to throw down everything into the oil of the Lord and let it be immersed in his calling and his choosing of you and choose to die to everything you were holding so tightly to, the wrong relationships, the wrong things in our life. We've got to throw them all at the feet of Jesus and bathe them in the anointing of God. And now it turns into a snake. 
Why? Because God is showing us that snake that, that you just saw there that represents evil and deceit and the sinful things of the world and the worldly passions and the things that we failed in and the things that we fell into and the iniquities of our life. He's saying, I'm going to use that snake to show Pharaoh my power. In other words, God will take every evil, iniquity, failure, and defeat, all of the things the enemy meant to destroy you, and he will work them for his purpose and his calling. He takes everything and works it out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Can I get somebody to say hallelujah? The same thing that you were ashamed of when you give it to the Lord, God's going to use it to defeat the kingdom of darkness. He's going to use the wicked things to confound the wise. Can I get an amen? It turned into a snake. It's really hard to let go of all this stuff, you know? It's, it's hard to, to let go of what you held on to for so long and throw it all at the feet of Jesus. My dad was a believer for a long time. and. And, but one day, he was at a Miles Monroe meeting, and a message like this kind of came up, and, and he thought to himself as, as he came up, he said, Lord, you know what? Whatever you put in front of me, I will do for you. That's not, what I'm saying today isn't that we throw everything down at the feet of Jesus, we sell everything and become a missionary to Uganda. I'm saying you do the same thing you were already going to do tomorrow. You keep walking your path until purpose interrupts you. But now you're doing it for the Lord entirely. When you die to your dreams and your ambitions, when you die to all the things you thought you wanted and all the things you held on so dearly to, when you die to the idea that the things of this world are more valuable to you than the things of God, what does he do? When you throw it down at his feet, Jesus said, if a man lose his life, then he will find it. My dad will tell you that his life turned around and he started finding what God had for him in every step of the way when he got up on Monday morning and he no longer went to the sheet metal job for money, but he went there because God had placed it in front of him as part of his plan and his experience in life and he began to operate in the identity of Christ. Knowing who we are. And we let it go. We find out that he says, pick it up. He gives it right back to you as soon as you let it go. When I let go of my dream to be a rock star, he said, now pick it back up and do it for me. And then he began to open up all of these opportunities as I began to minister on behalf of the kingdom of God. What happened? He gave it right back to me, but now it was anointed and manifested God's power. My dad found out he never wanted to be a preacher. He never wanted to build a church that would build strong families. He never had an ambition for it. He didn't have even a dream in his heart for it. But the reality is, is that God knows what you want more than you do. And when you give up what you think you want, he has more happiness and a better life for you. My son, Christian, he hated all fancy foods. He was eight years old. He couldn't stand like eating foods. That, he liked mac and cheese, peanut butter and jelly, pepperoni pizza. That's all he ever ate. But we went to this fancy restaurant on Mother's Day when he was eight years old. And uh, all they had was fancy food. They didn't have mac and cheese pepperoni pizza. He was starving, but he didn't want to eat nothing. He was so mad. Eight-year-old, just absolutely livid. So we, we talked him into trying crab wontons. Man, we had to beg him, just take a bite. Just take a bite. Take a bite! Eat your crab wonton. You'll like it. Die to what you want and take a taste of what I'm giving you. He took a bite of that crab wonton, changed his life forever. 
this is what food's supposed to taste like? He started trying everything that was on everybody's plate. He stopped being a picky eater in that moment. You see, when, when we realize that our Father knows what we'll like more than we do, He's got a better plan for you than what you think you want. When Peter had a different plan than what Jesus was up to, Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan, to Peter. He said, for you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. We've got to let go and stop valuing the things of men because Jesus was saying to Peter, I have a way better life for you than the one you think you have planned for yourself. Take what you think you want out of this life, put it at my feet. Decide to follow me with every single ounce of your being. Value the things of God above the things of men. Now pick up everything and you will find that the same stick that you used to use that gave you mediocre results that helped you navigate a stone here or there or get up the hill, that same stick that was average and common, suddenly that stick was used to part seas. Suddenly that stick was used to bring miracles and deliverance out of Egypt. Suddenly that stick would turn water into blood. Suddenly the stick you have is going to be used for noble, supernatural manifestations of God's purpose. Your neighbor's going to call you and say, oh, did you hear my wife has cancer? And you used to say, oh, I'm so sorry, because you felt helpless. But now you walk in, you, you, you hear the voice of Jesus saying, take me over to her house. Jesus, you want to go visit her? Yeah, I want to go visit her. I got healing in mind for her. All right, let's go. And you go over there and you ring the doorbell and you say, God wants to heal you. Will you let me pray for you? That sounds crazy, Pastor. I know, but it's exactly what starts happening to us when we start realizing that we are the workmanship of God, created in the anointing of God in Christ, chosen for the works he's planned for us ahead of time before we even walked a moment on this planet. Stand up on your feet. Let me pray for you. Just repeat after me. Today, Lord, I'm throwing it all down at your feet. Every dream, every desire, every ambition, every addiction, our good, our bad, our future, our past, our doubts, our fears. Lord, we give you our heart. I have decided to have in mind the things of you. I have decided to follow Jesus. Now say hallelujah and give him praise for it. I declare over you now increase in anointing that as you walk in every place that you go, you're moving in the power of Jesus. That it is on your mind and in your heart that Jesus within you, the hope of glory, goes everywhere that you go. That you are the workmanship of God created in Christ. Lord, that you are bringing and interrupting us with your assignment. And when it comes, Lord, we'll say yes to it because we know that you are taking us up to the next level. We know who we are in Christ. In Jesus' name. Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap. Well, thanks for watching. If you've never received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, or maybe your heart's been away from the Lord for a little while, just say this prayer with me. Dear Father God, I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. And Jesus, 
I believe in you. You're the Son of God who died for my sins and then rose from the dead. Be my Lord and Savior in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you said that prayer, you are forever in the kingdom of God. Your eternity is secure. Keep Jesus the Lord of your life and find a great church. You know, you need to be around the right kind of people in your life. It's going to make a difference. And we think you should watch a daily Bible study, which we have a wake up daily Bible study. It's the number one on YouTube. All you have to do is go to YouTube, type in daily Bible study. We come up and we start the day off with a scripture. We have a word for your day, encouragement. It's just, it's a whole lot of fun. Yeah. And then also, if you have teens or children and they're going to be teens one day, Check out this book, it's called Yep, I Have Teens. It's available on Amazon, and it will teach you how to have success with teenagers. You know, teenage life can be tough, and, and they don't understand you, and I just can't relate to my teenager, and these kinds of things. But that's not God's plan for you, and that's not God's plan for your family. There are very simple principles and insights here that can help you enjoy and become the great friend that your teenager and you, that family life that you deserve and that you want. God has it for you. There's some great principles in there to help you get there. This message of hope and encouragement in God's Word needs to touch all of the earth. And we ask that you pray about maybe partner with us. Getting, being a part of making a difference with this Word. And so all you have to do is go to wakeuptv.tv and uh, whatever God puts on your heart, I, I ask that you just help us change the world. Well, I hope you enjoyed watching today. We'll see you next time.